morning we begin a new series, and it's called uh, It's a Wonderful Life, but it has nothing to do uh, with George Bailey, <clears throat> uh, with Mr. Potter, uh, Uncle Billy, uh, and, and God, for, God forgive them for, for Clarence, the angel, you know? I mean, come on. What an insult to angels. But, but nevertheless, I love the title of that 1946 movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and I want to talk to you this morning in this series over the next several weeks about the most amazing, excuse me, the most wonderful life that's ever been ever and will ever be ever. And and that amazing life, and it's obviously who who I'm going to be talking about, but but, uh, not only was his life a wonderful life, but uh, he causes the lives of those who trust in him and believe in him to be a wonder uh, and we're going to look at that and explore that, that particular theme this morning. But um, <clears throat> before we do that, uh, I, I just found out recently, uh, maybe like a couple of months ago, something about myself that I never knew before. Now, I'm 64 years old. To, to find out something about yourself that you didn't know, that's a big deal, you know? Uh, it's like it's like like the light went on. It was like a little revelation that I actually it was my wife who got it. And uh, one day she, she just said to me, she said, "Honey, I just realized something. You are a blank blank, not a blankety blank. You're a blank blank, you know." And I'll I'll tell you what that is maybe in a, in a minute, you know. So I said I said Nah, I am. And she said, "Here's the evidence," and, and she showed me this bag with evidence. And I said, "Wow." I said, "I think you're right." I am a blank blank, you know? And uh, so how many of you want to know what the blank blank is? All right, come back next week and I'll tell you. <laughs> no, no, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. She, 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 said, she said, you're a pack rat. Well, at least she didn't say you're a dirty rat, you know. But, you know. So she said, you're a pack rat. And, and it's like all of a sudden it, it dawned on me, I am. She said, you don't like to throw away stuff. Now, now some stuff I, I obviously throw away. But, but by the way, let me just say this. I am not a hoarder, you know? I mean, when I'm when I, when I looking for something to watch on TV and I pass that channel, I close my eyes because I, it's just like, it just, you know, it just bothers me so much to look at, you know, what... Oh, I, so there's a world of difference between being a hoarder and being a pack rat. Pack rats are cute. <laughs> yeah, they really are. I did a Google search on images, you know, of pack rats. I was going to show you one, but, but they're so cute that I figured that you'd be distracted and... So, so he, 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 here's, the, he, here's the thing about being a pack rat. I've always kind of thought of myself as kind of like a MacGyver. How many remember the TV series MacGyver? All right? MacGyver, MacGyver is the guy who can take ordinary household stuff and turn it into, you know, these you know, marvelous kind of things to, to accomplish incredible feats, you know? Uh, just think about, do you remember the, the MacGyver uh, theme song? You know, it's stirring. It's, you know, well, well, I think of myself like that. I like to fix things that are broke with stuff that's kind of left over, you know. Uh, I was, I was, I was going to go in my garage today, but my garage, some of you know, my house has been under construction, the kitchen, and the garage is not my own. The contractor's got tools all over the place, and I can't even get into the, into, into the garage, and but, but I know that I've saved some stuff, and my wife doesn't know about it, that, that I might use, you know, someday. Like the flapper in my toilet, you know? I like it because it looks like the Starship Enterprise. 
So I can't, I, I just, I can't throw it away. You, ne- you will never know how you might someday, you know, need the Starship Enterprise as a model, you know. So, so I don't throw that, that, that stuff away. But, but, but she came to me with a bag full of stuff. See, now that the, the secret's out and I admit that I'm a pack rat, so she's been cleaning out my drawers, my junk drawers, you know. <clears throat> so she came to me the other day with a bag full of stuff. And she said, you're going to throw away this stuff, right? I'll give you an offer you can't refuse. You know, so that's kind of a, the way she approached me. You know, it's a bag full of stuff. And, and one of the things in there was a gift, a Christmas gift my son Will gave me like five years ago. <clears throat> and uh, it was a gag gift. Uh, <clears throat> I thought he, he, he thought it was funny. Uh, I, I brought it back to Brookstone where he, you know, he bought it from. They wouldn't take it back without a receipt. You know, so I kept it. And what it was is, is a remote control. But it was like a remote control that was like this big and this wide. It was like the size of a small computer. It was bigger than my iPad. I'm serious. Have you ever seen them? They're silver. They've got buttons like the buttons on a peacoat. You know? You, you can't miss it. You, you'll never lose this remote control. You, it'll never get stuck between the cushions of your couch. You know what I'm saying? It is so powerful that you can change your neighbor's channel by just sticking it toward the window. It really, it really works. It's amazing. So, so like about, you know, a couple of years ago when, when Cablevision switched their, their delivery system from analog to digital, it became obsolete. It, it, it became, you know, outdated. And, but it's been in my drawer. And, and so I, I don't want anybody to tell my son Will now that his mother got rid of my Christmas present, you know? <sighs> Think about that as a, as, a, as a gift, right, that was given to me by my son. I want to talk to you this morning about a gift that will never become irrelevant, never become outdated, that will never become obsolete. Jesus truly is the gift that keeps on, on giving, and I want to talk to you about Jesus as he is in himself, in his person, over the next several weeks. So please don't tell my son Will about that. In uh, the prophets, we have this depiction of Jesus, the, the foretelling about 750 years before the coming of the Messiah. And we're going we're to look at a couple of verses. But, but before we, we, we do that, um, one of my favorite portions of Scripture is from John chapter 4. It's, it's this encounter that Jesus has. He, he, says, he says to his disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. They, they, they were on mission to go to a city, but, but, the, but the must needs go to Samaria was not geographical. It, that was not the geographical need. It was really kind of out of the way. It was a divine appointment that Jesus was talking about. He had an appointment with, with the most unlikely of people. It was, she, she was not only a woman back in a culture that doesn't really honor women or didn't honor women, and she was a Samaritan. She was half Jewish and half Gentile, right? So, so Jesus has this appointment with this Samaritan woman, and... Uh, <clears throat> he, he reveals to her the, 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 the most clear identity of, of who he is 
but he identifies himself as, as, as this idea of a gift. Uh, she is the kind of woman that goes out to the well in the middle of the day when none of the other women, it's too hot, will go out there because she wants to avoid the judgmental looks and the whispers of the other ladies in the village. So she goes out there when they're not around. So she comes out there and, and Jesus meets with her and he begins his conversation with her. And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. Jesus understood his identity that he was the gift of God. Jesus is the gift of God to us, the gift of God for our sake, for us, but he's also amazingly the gift of God in us. And he said to this woman who had five, she had five, listen, even back in the day, having five, having, having had five husbands, and Jesus said, the man that you're now living with is not your husband. She, she would be, in my opinion, the poster girl for what grace is all about. It's undeserved, it's unearned, it's, it's un, unmerited, but it's even unasked for. It's, it's, it's God coming after the undeserving and making himself known in such a marvelous way. And she, and she got it that day. She, she understood that, that he was the long-awaited Messiah, the gift of God, the gift that, that keeps on giving. Clearly, Jesus saw himself as humanity's greatest wonder and greatest gift. About 30 so years ago, the, the, the church used to sing a song about how wonderful Jesus was. Maybe some of you remember it. You know, wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is to me. Counselor, mighty God, mighty King is he. Saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer. Praise his name. That expression of Jesus being wonderful to us is something that becomes personal. It's something that begins to grow over time. If you're here this morning, you don't have a committed fellowship, relationship with Jesus Christ. My prayer for you today is that you will discover that Jesus is, in fact, full of wonder, and that he has infinite love for you and can cause your life to become filled with wonder. The prophet Isaiah said, there shall be a sign. The king was asking for a sign, and, 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 and the dial of the, the sundial turned back 10 degrees. He, he, he was given a sign. But God says, I'm going to give you a sign and a wonder that is greater than the sun standing still or the, or the, or the sun going back 10 degrees. I'm going to give you a sign and a wonder. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and his name shall be called, his name shall be called God with us. God with us. We, we, we call it Emmanuel. God with us. Then, in the ninth chapter, Isaiah begins to unveil the Identity of the Messiah, even in a greater measure. And so that's what we want to pick up and look at. But in the first two verses, he talks about there being a darkness that was covering 
the entire land. And it says that the people, verse 2, walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In other words, during the greatest spiritual darkness, and, 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 and there was such darkness, it was political darkness, it was economic darkness, it was social darkness, spiritual darkness. But in the midst of that, a hope would come forth and a light would like break forth from, from the longest night and there would be a hope that would arise. You know, I, I kind of see ourselves in a very similar scenario right now in the days in which we're living in. In, in many ways, there is a darkness currently that is, that, 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 that is economically, that is socially, that is, that is spiritually, that is, you know, in every way affecting the nations of this earth. But the hope is that, that, that this one who came the first time will come a second time to heal the world of its problems, to fix what is broken with this broken world. Tim Keller tells a story about uh, how when his kids were young, he, had, he has three boys, and, and when they were all under the age of eight, he, he had like a duplex, I guess, he was upstairs in his study working on the second floor, trying to get some work done, and his three boys were home, and they were, <clears throat> they were on the first floor, and they were fighting with each other, you know, the way kids do. And uh, so, so, so Tim yelled down the stairs and said, said, guys, you know, stop fighting, share your toys, you know, or something, something along those lines. And then a little while later, he heard them still continuing to fight. And he said, he said, guys, take turns with your, with your stuff, you know. And then a little while later, he gave him some more advice. And then he said, finally, he said, don't let me come down there. If you've been a parent, you've been there, and you've also probably done that, right? Uh, so at one point, you know, the kids just continued to fight and, 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 Tim says, at one point, my word, my advice had to become flesh to dwell among them. And he had to come down and solve the problem that was going on. That's exactly what God has done. He has come down. God himself has come among us to solve the problem of sin and death and sorrow and pain and sickness. He's come to solve that problem. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is what he's going to be called. His dual nature, the child that was born and the son that was given, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over the kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. And how is this going to be accomplished? The zeal of Yahweh, Elohim, the covenant creator, is going to fix the problems of a broken world because he is wonderful. I want to talk to you about that one word this morning, wonderful. What does it mean to, to us? What does it mean to you? 
and to me. Is he wonderful to you? To me, Jesus is indeed, like the song I quoted a while ago. He is wonderful. It's been my privilege to, to preach Christ now for more than, more than half of my life. For 34 years, I've been preaching Christ. And, and I've got to tell you, uh, my wife prayed for me this morning on the way over, uh, as we normally do. And, and she prayed that, that, that I would be able to articulate Christ to you this morning. And so, so many times I feel, you know, very small in, and that's, that's, that's not a, a really great thing, I guess, for somebody whose job description is a preacher. My, my words so many times feel so inadequate to express all that I see and all that I know, but am unable to find all of the right words to express because he is wonderful. And I suppose that that will always be. The psalmist said, oh, for 10,000 tongues to praise him. He is a wonder and he grows in being a wonder to those who love him and to those who know him. In a scene from C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis writes about Lucy, young Lucy, who's been sent on this mission, and it's a dangerous mission, and she's traveling at night, and in the moonlight, she sees the, 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 the Christ figure, Aslan, you know, majestic, this lion just, just standing there, and, and the moonlight is shining upon him, and, and she sees him, and she runs full force to him, and she dives right into his soft, silky mane, and 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 and. and and Aslan rolls over and she finds herself sitting between his paws and looking up at his, at his face, his, his large face. And she, she says, Aslan, you're, you're bigger. And he says, no, child, that's because you're a little older. She says, not really understanding, you're, you're not bigger meaning than, than the last time I saw you? And, and he says, no. He says, you have changed. Your perception of me grows as you grow. And what C.S. Lewis is saying here is that as we mature in faith and devotion to Christ, the expanding of our soul becomes the expanding of Christ in our life. He becomes, in our vision, in our perception, bigger, greater, more wonderful than he was before. Funny, this morning, I, I was looking for my, for my buddy. I came in at 1025, and I have, I have a standing appointment with Mark, my buddy, uh, the sound guy. At 1025, we, we, we come to test this this thing here by my ear, uh, you know, sound, clarity, tone. And, uh, you know, if it was up to me, it would, it would be just, you know, check, check, one, two, three, you know, one, that kind of a thing. And, and Mark says, no, nah, that ain't going to do. You know, he's a bit of a perfectionist. He says, I need you to, I need you to speak like you're going to speak. I need you to read something. And so for a couple of weeks, I tried reading something, and I just kind of felt dumb, just me and him in the room reading something. So I, I, just, I, just started, I just started quoting from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and he, he dwelt among us. All things were made by him and for him, and without him there was nothing made that was made. 
And he is the beginning of all things. And I just, I, and, and, and every time I do that now when I test the microphone, I'm, get, I'm getting blessed on the inside because I realize that one came for us. One of us. The miracle, the wonder of, of Christmas, the wonder is that, is that the one who is very God, co-equal, co-eternal, co-glorious with God, who is God, very God, has become very man, who is, who is, who is one of us so that he might redeem us. He came into this world to fix our problems into the midst of the darkness he didn't enter into this world in the splendor and majesty and the, and the, and the royal regala of, of a king. He came in the womb of a peasant, a teenager, in a stable, in a remote place. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman. I mean, everything about his coming is wonderful. He is himself a miracle. The incarnation is inexplicable. The, the incarnation is the great, it's greater than the miracle of, of creation. It was easy for God to speak the universe into existence. He said, let there be light, and it was so. You explain this universe apart from a creator. Go ahead. You know, a lot of smart people think that this is all just a coincidence, this universe that is beyond calculation. It just happened. It's a big bang. Well, where did all the material come from? Who made the big bang? You know, when you, you start to think about that, you, you reach the, the recesses of your intellect, and you've got to, in humility and in simple surrender, to say, this was made by someone who is awesome, someone who is indeed wonderful. He did this in the womb of a virgin while never ceasing to uphold the universe with the power of his word, never ceasing to be God. He became something in time that he wasn't before, and that is he joined himself to a human nature. Jesus Christ has two distinct natures. One is, is wholly divine. The other is wholly human the king of angels, yet the reputed son of Joseph, the heir of all things, yet the carpenter's despised son. Jesus, what a wonder you are. The gift of God to us, the gift of God for us, and the gift of God in us. To, to know Jesus is life-changing. To know Jesus is transformary. It's, 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 it's transformational. To experience, because he, he is not only a life of wonder, he does wonders in the lives of those who look to him. Frederick uh, Handel, George Frederick Handel, was probably regarded, is probably regarded as one of the world's greatest composers that has ever lived. He was born in Germany. He lived most of his life in England, became an English citizen. His father was a physician wanted him to follow in his footsteps, but he loved, had a passion for music. And he began to write and compose, and he composed operas and cantatas, and he composed stuff that, that I don't even know what it is, you know, anthems and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. 
But his life was anything more than tranquil, peaceful. He had a notorious reputation for, for getting into brawls with musicians. And, and, and listen, I can understand that. Musicians are, are, are spirited people who, who are artists. And, you know, sometimes they get a little antsy. Right, Mark? So one, one, one day, right, this poet comes to his house and, and delivers to him these scriptures that were in the form of a, uh, a piece of music. And he half-heartedly looked at it. I mean, I, I, I didn't mention this. Aside from being a brawler, he, he was, he was ho- in, hopelessly in debt, and he was in deep depression. Now, now. He was hopelessly in debt in a time in England when they put men in prison, in debtor's prison, if you couldn't pay your debts, right? So this poet knocks on his door and delivers him this manuscript, and he begins to half-heartedly read it, but then something began to happen. Something began to take over his life as though he became obsessed. It, it, was, it was the words from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that we just read, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And he began, he began almost by a compulsion to begin to compose. And over the next 25 days, he began to compose what we know as the Messiah, regarded as one of the greatest musical pieces that, have, that has ever been written. 260-page manuscript. He wrote, he, he, he would not even be interrupted for food or rest. He, he, he worked furiously. And when it was over, he, there was times, there was times when, when, when he would shout and he would jump and he would yell hallelujah. And, and it was as, as though he says the heavens were open and he saw God himself upon the throne of God. He described his experience like the Apostle Paul, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. The first time that that peace, the Messiah, was performed. It was performed as a charity benefit. Listen, this is so amazing. A, a, a charity benefit raising 400 pounds, which was apparently a lot of money back in the day, which, which was used to set free 142 men from debtors' prison. How ironic. No, no. How, 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 how right it would be that, a, that a, a peace composed called the Messiah about Jesus would be used, the proceeds would be used to set 142 men free from prison. The following year, it was performed in London for King George II. And uh, when King George heard the hallelujah chorus, he rose to his feet and he stood to his feet during the whole chorus of the hallelujah chorus. And everybody spontaneously joined with the king and they all stood up and listen ever since wherever that is played in an orchestra setting men stand up 260 years later it is regarded as one of the most stirring and inspiring pieces of praise music that's ever been written you got to ask yourself you got to ask George I mean you got to ask George, if you could, I mean, what inspired you? What was it that motivated you, that moved you, that, that so compelled you? It was a glimpse of the one who was wonderful, counselor, the mighty God. That's 
what the song is about, the Messiah who would come. Powerful, powerful stuff. Jesus Christ changes the lives of those who he touches. I'm living testimony. My wife and I are living testimonies. We came to Christ the same night, and God not only saved us that night, but he also healed our marriage, and he's changed the course of our life forever because Jesus works wonders because he's a wonder-working Savior. Isaiah tells us that it was in the midst of this darkness that this gift is given. Six, six gifts are mentioned here. Six truths are mentioned here by Isaiah. And when, when you begin to understand that the gift was meant for you and you change the wording, and it's okay to change the wording, when you begin to say, unto me a child was born, unto me a son was given. And unto me, his name is wonderful. It's like putting tags on each one of those, those items that is descriptive of Jesus and saying, from God to Kathy to Kelly, with love, Merry Christmas. It's God's gift to us. He is a child born, which speaks of his humanity, and a son given, which speaks of his divinity. So what's the significance of that? I mean, what's the big deal about that, right? The big deal about that is simply this, that we have a merciful and we have a faithful high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses, who knows what life is all about because he's lived it. He's lived it from the standpoint because he's always been God and and, and he always will be God, but he's also become a man and he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to empathize. He knows what it's like to sympathize. And so because of that, it was necessary that he became a man, that he might redeem those, become our kinsman redeemer. That is, it was necessary for him to become flesh and blood since he does not give a helping hand to angels. I'm going to share this statement with you. There is no temptation or trial that he cannot understand. I know this is speaking to somebody right now. Listen. There is no temptation or trial that he cannot understand. There is no struggle or sadness which he cannot emp- sympathize. There's no hardship or difficulty for which he cannot provide strength to endure. He can provide strength for you to endure, my sister. For he truly is wonderful. The life of Jesus, I, I don't know who wrote this. It's an unknown author, but but. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance, and he left through a door marked no exit. Isn't that good? He entered a world through a door marked no entrance, and he left this world through a door marked no exit. His name will always be miraculous, because that's what the word wonder, it's full of wonder. Wonderful is, is wonder-filled. He, he, he gives signs and he gives wonders, miracles. He is himself a miracle. But it also means distinctive, different, unique, other than. Jesus is absolutely other than 
distinctive in, in, in the way that Saul, Israel's first king, was distinctive from all of the other men. The Bible says that he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. But Jesus is, is different from anybody else because of his peerless, perfect character. He is sinless, altogether lovely, the fairest of 10,000. He is unique and absolutely amazing. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon writes about Jesus. I do believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the king of heaven, and yet he was a poor, despised, persecuted, slandered man. But while I believe it, I never can understand it. I bless him for it. I love him for it. I desire to praise his name while immortality endures for his infinite condescension in suffering for me. But to understand it, I can never pretend. His name must forever be called wonderful. Amen. Amen, brother. He is absolutely unique. No one else is God and man. No one else is virgin born. No one else is sinless as the man Christ Jesus. No one else perfectly fulfilled the law. No one else is the savior of the sin of the world. Don't apologize for that. We live in a culture right now that, that, that wants to paint us as being narrow-minded because we believe that Jesus Christ is not a way, not a truth, not a life. He is the way, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Amen? We make no apologies for that. Jesus made no apologies for that. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Phil, Philip Yancey brings up uh, a movie scene uh, it was called The Last Emperor. It was out a number of years ago. You may have seen it. It was about a child who was the, the last emperor of China. This, this, this child that had a thousand servants at his beck and call. Someone asked him as a child, what happens to you when you do something wrong? And he says, somebody else is punished. And to demonstrate, he purposely broke a vase or a jar, and someone else was beaten on his behalf. And what Yancey says is this, that Christ reverses the very ancient pattern. But what we see is that when his servants do wrong, the king is punished. And then he says this, grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost of grace. Grace is free to us, but it was not free to Jesus. It cost him the cross. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. It, he's wonderful in so many ways. The manner of his birth is a wonder, is a miracle. His humility, his self-denial, his suffering, even his, his death is supernatural. There's nothing about Jesus that is just common. It's extraordinary. And yet he was a common man. Never moved outside of the nation of Israel. Amazing. I want to share a statement with you. It's a little too long to put up on the screen, but I want you to listen to it. I, I want to hold back the identity of the, of the person who wrote this for a minute because I think 
I think, I think you might be blown away when, when, when you listen to what he said. He said this. He said, I, as a famous person in history, I, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and gods, little g, gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and whatever other religion the distance of infinity. I, I agree with that. Everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit overawes me. His will confounds me. Between him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. He is truly a being by himself. His ideas, his sentiments, the truth which he announces, his manner of convincing, and, and, and not explained either by human organization or by the nature of things. The nearer I approach the more carefully I examine, everything is above me. Everything remains grand of a grandeur which overpowers. His religion is a revelation from an intelligence which certainly is not mere man. One can absolutely find nowhere but in him alone the example of his life. I search in vain in history to find the similar to Jesus Christ or anything which is approaching the gospel, neither in history, nor in humanity, nor in ages, nor in nature, offer me anything which I am able to compare it to or explain it. He, here is everything extraordinary. I mean, what? I mean, I wish I wrote that. What an extraordinary sentiment. The individual who wrote that, actually, the piece is titled, A Being by Himself. What he's saying is that Christ is superior in every way to every person and to everything. But what I want you to know is simply this. Is that Jesus is far above all principality and power. Yeah, that, 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 that's what theology says. But, but do you know who, who said that? That, that? that was a quote from, uh, from Josh McDowell's book, New evidence, it's a newer book, new evidence that demands a verdict. And believe it or not, that was a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. And what he, what he says is this. He says, Napoleon Bonaparte may have never given his heart to Christ. That remains for God to judge. But he certainly gave great thought to him. Now here's the point that I'd like to make this morning. Napoleon may have intellectually understood who Jesus was. Incomparable. Absolutely unique. Nothing like him. But even the devils, the Bible says, know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And they tremble. Having a, a mental assent to who Jesus is is not enough. What a person must do is to receive and to believe and to place yourself in that scripture that Isaiah said, unto me a child is born, unto me a son is given, and unto me Jesus is wonderful Savior. Maybe this morning you've never placed yourself in that sentence. I'd like to give you that opportunity to do so today. You see, because only those 
who know that they know that they know, not intellectually, but they know experientially that Jesus is wonderful and there's a growing of his wonder. What I want you to take away this morning is simply this, that Jesus is wonderful and he wills to work wonders in you. Let him heal you. Let him forgive you. Let him, let him love you this morning. No doubt you'll receive Christmas presents this year from people that you love. I doubt very much that you'll reject it. God is offering to you this morning the greatest gift of all, the gift that indeed really does keep on giving. You receive that by believing. You say something like this, Jesus coming in my life. I, I believe that you are man and that you're God and that you're the Savior who's come to, to heal the brokenness of this world, to fix what's wrong with this world, with sin and death, and you came to give me life. When you place yourself in that sentence and you say those words, and it's not magical words, it's heartfelt experience. There's a transaction that takes place. For those of you that are followers of Jesus this morning, I want you to grow in the wonder of him and to realize that on this journey as you are maturing in Christ, you are discovering that Jesus is more full of awe and wonder every year as you grow in him. So grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. In this Christmas season, my aim and my goal through this series is to get really close to him so that his presence would do a wonder in each of our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. John said that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, and of his grace we have all received grace heaped upon grace. And so I pray this morning, Father, that this house would be full of grace. The people's lives would leave this place today full of grace, full of unmerited, unearned, undeserved, and even unasked for kindness and goodness of God as we receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Having received Jesus so many years ago, Lord, I thank you that you are still working in me. I am not yet complete, but that there is an eternity coming in which the progress of being transformed, of being changed into his image. And see, that's what it's really all about. To be conformed into the image of God's Son is to be made a wonder yourself. So Lord, I pray that you would do that in this place this morning as our hearts are thinking about worshiping this morning we can say, Jesus, what a wonder you are.